King Jesus, O bread of life, I pray that you would open our hearts this morning that we might be nourished and fed by you, by your very presence. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So some of you have heard this story before. Uh, but I used to work at the Apple Store. Lovely place to work. Sometimes a terrifying place to work. Uh, and this is one of the most peculiar things that would sometimes happen to us. Uh, people would bring in their phones. They would ask us to fix them. That's kind of normal. You would expect the Apple Store to fix the devices that they make. But every now and then, someone would actually bring in a device that wasn't made by Apple, and they still expected us to fix it. A very weird and strange thing. Because at first glance, the people would show us this phone, and it kind of, kind of looked like an iPhone. It had the same curves to it, the same materials to it. But the buttons wouldn't quite be in the right spot. And if it was able to turn on, you'd notice the icons were sometimes different colors, you know, things like this. And for someone who isn't obsessive about Apple devices, like yours truly, it, it might be easy to kind of miss the fact that this is a totally counterfeit device. It's not the real thing. Now, when confronting people like this, you never really knew what you were going to get, right? Because imagine thinking that you're holding the real deal and you're being put in this embarrassed situation, right? Well, sometimes people are shocked. They're like, really? Are you sure? And then they're embarrassed and they leave. But sometimes people are like, yeah, yeah I, I know it's not made by Apple, but it's kind of like an Apple device, right? Will you still fix it? The answer is, of course, no. And then sometimes, and this was very, very rare, but it did happen a couple of times, uh, more than once for sure, where someone would come in, we would tell them it's a counterfeit device, and then they would tell us that we were wrong. They'd say, no, you're just lazy. You don't want to fix this because this is a difficult problem. You still need to fix this. And thankfully, that's when you could call in the manager and just kind of move on to the next person. But the counterfeit product, or when people are using a counterfeit, they're very upset to learn that they've been duped, right? You know, because a counterfeit product is something that was built with cheap parts or incomplete features, things of this nature. But a counterfeit product, in the long run, will eventually let you down, won't it? Well, friends, there is a counterfeit gospel that is spreading across our country, that is spreading across the world right now. Several weeks ago, uh, there was a gathering of Anglican leaders uh, in Jerusalem. And this was the largest gathering of Anglican leaders uh, in 50 years. It's called the GAFCON Conference. And for the keynote address, Archbishop Oko of Nigeria, he warned churches about this counterfeit gospel that is spreading. The counterfeit gospel, which he called the prosperity gospel. It's taking root in many, many places around the world. Now it teaches you, the prosperity gospel teaches you, that if you follow God, you will have your best life now. If you follow God, you will have the, your best life now. Give money to the church, and then you will be repaid by many, many riches. If you make public affirmations of your faith, you will be covered by good luck, and good things will happen to you. In other words, if you follow God, good things will happen to you. And in its worst of forms, people will give all of their money away to, a, to the church, hoping that eventually they'll get repaid. They've been swindled. Now, the prosperity gospel teaches that Jesus is the means through which you get things. He is the means through which you get things. 
And under this, it's easy to see that it's the things themselves that become God. Rather than worshiping the giver, you worship the gift. Now, you might be sitting there right now thinking, like, seriously, Rick, the prosperity gospel, like, this is America, you know, we're way, we're way above that, we're way more enlightened here, you know, we're, we're fine, we don't need to worry about this. Well, a couple weeks ago, there was an article that came out in Christianity Today reporting about the American church. 38% of American Christians agree with this statement, 38%. My church teaches that if I give more money to my church and to charities, God will bless me in return. So in other words, 38% of Christians think that God is just some cosmic vending machine, right? Put a little bit in and you get a prize back. 69% agree with this statement. God wants me to prosper financially. And what's shocking about this to me is that among evangelicals, that number rises up to 75%. 75% of evangelicals believe that God wants me to prosper financially. So why is this kind of thinking so prevalent? Why is this so captivating? Well, it's kind of obvious, right? Like, we want good things. We like being comfortable. We want to know that if we do a little bit of work now, that that's actually going to pay off in the long run. Like, that's just kind of a natural human way of thinking, right? But you might be sitting here thinking, you know, that's not me. That's surely not me. Well, what makes us think that we are so much wiser than our brothers and sisters, right? Satan may have sold me or you a counterfeit phone. Not a counterfeit phone, hopefully. Maybe a counterfeit gospel. Well, today the, we're going to be looking at one aspect of the prosperity gospel, and there are many aspects of it. We could talk about the fake view of God's will that it, that it presupposes. We could talk about the false view of the role of leadership in these kinds of circles. But instead, I want us to look at something that I, I don't know if we talk about very much in the church today. What does it mean if we receive good things? Now, there's a lot that we as Anglicans do love to talk about as, as it pertains to suffering, you know, especially during Lent and Holy Week. We'll talk about that. But what's our posture supposed to be when we actually do receive something good? Now, some of you might be saying, that's not me this morning, Rick. I am not getting these, I'm not being rained down with gifts from heaven at the moment. But the fact of the matter is you're here. You're in a safe country. We can worship freely here. So there's some goodness that we're able to, to receive just even by being here in this space. And life has its ebbs and flows, right? Sometimes life is a famine and we're in the desert. But sometimes life is a feast and sometimes we're able to partake of gifts. So what I want to do today is talk about if good times come upon you, I want you to be spiritually prepared for that. That you're not tricked into thinking that life is about the gift, but instead it points you towards the giver. So we're going to be looking at two of the passages from this morning. First we're going to look at Exodus, uh, and then we'll turn the page and head over to John. And again, there is so much that you could say about these passages, um, but I want to look at these as it pertains to good things that the Lord gives us. So first, the passage, is, the passage from Exodus. Now the Jews have been traveling through the, through the wilderness for several years. And we're told immediately before this passage, it's not printed in the bulletin, but we're told immediately before the passage that they've arrived to this place called Elim. Elim. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And Elim is an oasis there. 
And the Bible tells us that there are 12 springs of water at Elim, and there are 70 palm branches, or 70 palm trees that are there. So that, that, those numbers are supposed to mean something. The 12 springs of water are supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the 70 palm branches, or palm, I keep saying palm branches. I, keep, I think it's Palm Sunday, apparently. The 70 palm trees, the number 70 represents the nations of the world. And so the image there is kind of what we see here happening is kind of twofold. One, the Lord provides for his people as they're wandering through the desert. He has called them to the promised land, and he's going to be taking care of them at each step along the way. And at this day, it's to camp out at this oasis. And the second thing there is those numbers are supposed to remind the people, I am pouring into you. I am, I am grafting you to become a na- my nation, my kingdom of priests, so that as you are blessed, you will be a blessing to those around you, to the palm trees that are around you. Well, rather than realizing this, the people of God, they're not thankful in this situation, are they? No, they're, they're fostering a deep root of bitterness here. In fact, they're getting resentful, and they're grumbling, right? And you, did you hear the words that they said? We wish that we could have died in Egypt. At least there we were being fed, right? It was horrible, but it was, you know, it, was, it could be worse than here, right? So you brought us out into the wilderness, they say to Aaron and to Moses, out to die. So their resentment reveals their true worldly desires, and when you can kind of hear it too, they feel as if God owes them a favor. It's as if God owes them a favor. So there's not a whole lot of kids in here this morning. Sometimes we've got some kiddos in here. But uh, I think kids can kind of identify a little bit with this, right? So when it's hot out, you know, and you want a popsicle, right? There's kind of two ways that you can go to your parents and ask for a popsicle on a hot day. The first way is, Dad, I love you so much. It's hot out. Have you noticed that? Would you mind giving me a popsicle on this hot day? Is that okay? Oh, I love it when my kids talk like that, right? All the time? Yeah, not so much. No, what do we usually hear, unfortunately? Sometimes it's, ugh, why is it so hot out? I wish it was winter time right now. Dad, why haven't you given us a popsicle yet? You know, like that's, yeah, some of you parents are kind of nodding and laughing right now. I'm sure that's not you guys over there, right? Like you're never like that. But, you know, some t- I, it's, it's not crazy for us to imagine those kinds of situations. But the crazy thing about this particular passage that should kind of make us squirm a little bit or wonder, you know, what's going on here is that God hears their grumbling, and what does he do? He actually gives them the popsicle, right? So they're, cr- they're complaining, they're whining, and he actually gives them the bread, It's kind of like responding to a child's demands for popsicles by giving them one of those like Amazon Prime like dash buttons, right? Where you push the button and then the popsicle arrives at your door from like an Amazon delivery guy. And, but that's exactly what God's doing here. He's providing them this Amazon dash button for, for manna, for bread from heaven. And he, and this isn't just like any kind of bread, right? Bread from heaven. It's so unusual to them that they don't know what it is. In fact, that's what manna means. It means, what is it? And there, it's, it's got a, an amazing taste to it. Later, we read that it tastes like honey. It has a really neat texture to it. And best of all, it's free. All they have to do is just go out there and pick it up off the ground. You can't make it any harder than that, right? But God does give them some instructions to go along with the bread. 
He says, every day when you go out, only take what you need. Don't hoard up a ton of this stuff. Only take what you need for the day. And then he says, on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, you're not allowed to go out and take any. Instead, the way that you prepare for this is on the sixth day, I want you to take double. On the sixth day, I want you to take double. So there are some conditions, there are some rules that come along with this bread that, are trying to, that God is trying to use to teach his people about his character. So his gift is coming with this condition, with this rule to teach people about his character. Now you might be sitting there right now and thinking like, Rick, this is actually going against what you're saying. Do you realize that? Like, they're grumbling and then they're being rewarded. Isn't this kind of disproving your point, Rick, you might be thinking? They're complaining, and they get really amazing things. If anything, this is reinforcing the prosperity gospel. You follow God, and you can act however you want, and you're still going to get what you want, right? So who, as long as you're a part of the people, as long as you're called, as long as you're the right ethnicity or whatever, you're going to be getting God's favor. Well, if that's what you're thinking as it pertains to this passage, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You see, this is meant to be a wake-up call to the Jews. This is meant to be a test and God says it several times in, uh, throughout this entire chapter that he is giving them this gift as a test. He's giving it to them not because of who they are or what they've done or because they were born to the right father or whatever, but because of who God is. And he says there in verse 4, will they continue to walk in my law or not? That's why he's giving this gift. Will this grow their love and dependence upon me? Now, the sad thing is that if we were to keep reading the story, we would find out, in fact, that they don't pass the test. They actually do go out, er, and they gather much more food than they can even eat in, this, in one day. And then the next day, they wake up, and they see that the food is rotting. It's stinky. There's worms that are growing up in it. And they go out on the seventh day to try to get it, and it's not there. So there's consequences for breaking these rules. So do you see how this doesn't quite line up with the scheme of the prosperity gospel? You see, the prosperity gospel says that if you do good things, or if you have good things, it's because God is hashtag blessing you. You're blessed. That's why you have good things, because God likes you. You're doing all right. But in here, we see it's not so simple. God could be testing you. So what does that mean for us? As people living, you know, two, well, several thousand years later, actually. Well, it means that we need to take stock what good gifts has God given you? Take stock of your life. What is going on? What's going well for you right now? And this is maybe easy for some to think of or, uh, than others, but maybe you've got a couple extra dollars in the bank. Maybe you've been receiving some promotions at work and moving your way up the ladder. Maybe the Lord's given you other things that aren't material, like intellectual resources, or maybe a big family, or you're just kind of the everyone's favorite in the neighborhood. I don't know, but maybe there's some good things that are going on in your life right now. And so I think this passage is asking us, how can we be responsible with those things that we've been given? Are we hoarding those things? Or will we be using these things to spread God's kingdom and be generous? Will we be, there's this bug flying around me. Will be, we be using these things to be a sign to the nations, to be a sign to the people around us? about who God is. So the prosperity gospel teaches us that good gifts are a, God, a sign of God's favor, but instead, gifts are a way to be built up in our trust of God. 
So now let's turn to our, our gospel passage, the reading from John, to glean a second principle. So this, this passage is a little bit similar to the one of Exodus. That's why the people who designed our lectionary actually paired these two together. It's very similar. You'll see again the people are coming to Jesus. And what are they doing? What's their posture to Jesus? Are they thankful for what they've just received earlier? No, not at all. They're grumbling again, right? They're coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, we want another cash out, right? We want another meal from you. We don't want to have to go back home. Do you hear the entitlement that's in their words? They're ready for round two. And they think as if Jesus just kind of owes this to them, as if it's just going to kind of come naturally to them. Now this time, they actually don't get what they're asking for. They don't get the second handout. And instead, what Jesus does is he calls them on it. He says, you want more food. That's why you're coming to me. You think that by following me, you're going to be filling your bellies. In other words, as if Jesus is saying, you just think I'm your Amazon dash button. You can just come up here, and whenever you're hungry, just push the button, and now it's going to come some more food. You can see they're even asking for better food. Later on in the passage, you'll see that they want that manna from heaven. They want the bread of angels. Now what Jesus does instead here is he points them towards the heavenly. He says that the gift is supposed to be a sign of the true reality. He says, don't work for food that perishes. Rather, set your desires upon the food of eternal life. And this kind of piques the, the people's curiosity. They ask how. And Jesus says, all you need to do is believe Believe in the one whom God has sent. It's not dependent upon who you are or what you've done. All you have to do is believe in me. Simply believe. There's no other conditions that are put upon that. And Jesus says, again, pointing them heavenly, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Again, he's pointing them heavenly. So, um, as many of you know, throughout uh, July, we we're traveling with our family. We were able to take this remarkable vacation. And one of the things we did was kind of at the end of our trip. So we'd already been to several places. And we went to Teddy Roosevelt National Park. Have any of you guys been there before? A couple of you, right? So not a whole lot of people know what Teddy Roosevelt National Park is. Uh, if, if you don't know your presidents very well, then maybe that's not even like a very appealing name. It's like, oh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park, cool. It's, it's in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. Well, one of the days when we were there, we got out, and we did this hike. And it was kind of a so-so hike. It wasn't the best thing in the world. The air was super hot and, and dry, and it was kind of a rocky sort of terrain. We're getting rocks in our chacos, and as you can imagine, the kids start to complain, right? But we're like, oh, we got to get up to the top. We got to get up to the top. You know, mosquitoes are buzzing around every time we try to stop. And so in order to kind of get the kids to stop squabbling, we'd, we'd give them some Twizzlers, because that's, that's good parenting right there. Bribery. <laughs> Bribery at its finest. So we'd pull out some Twizzlers. You know, and sometimes the kids, like, bunch up, you know, push up against a, a thorny bush, you know, as, we're, as they're trying to relax and eating their Twizzlers. So it was just kind of a, kind of a so-so hike. But we, we did give them some things along the way. But eventually we got to the summit. We got to the top of the hike. And the view is absolutely beautiful and stunning. It was one of my favorites of the whole entire trip. So the sky was absolutely it was dark blue with these just wispy, beautiful clouds that were going through. 
the hills were, were gorgeous. There were like these different reds and browns and oranges and all just striped. So you could trace a stripe all the way from one end of the horizon to the other. It was just really fun and gorgeous to look at. And then there was a river that was coming through from the, off from the west. And then it curved down kind of towards the bottom of the mountain that we were standing on. And then would curve back and go out towards the east. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then the green of summer was just popping up everywhere. You see, especially down by the river, the trees were massive and huge and gorgeous. And for a little bit, I just kind of forgot about the entire hike. You know, time was sort of standing still up there. And then we noticed these brown dots off in the distance that were coming closer. And we could hear them. It was bison. They were kind of coming down the valley and into the river. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. We would hear like they're grunting and stuff. It was really cool. And at that point, standing at the mountain, looking over, I was filled with the emotions of not just that one moment, but of all those beautiful scenes that we had taken in throughout that entire journey. They all just kept rushing back to me, and I was overcome with emotion. I was grateful for Theodore Roosevelt and, sort of, and all the others who've, who've given this nation like such a great gift in preserving these lands. And I was thankful even just for the Lord's creativity of all the different kinds of animals and colors and scenery. It was just this beautiful, worshipful experience. So beauty like that, beauty like that at the top of the summit is meant to be transformative of us. It's supposed to shape us. Creation, when it's at its finest, and when we are slowed down and pausing and able to take it in, it's supposed to speak to us and transform us and shape our soul. And I want to go back there. I want to have that moment again and again. You see, God has so much more to enjoy for us than just snacks along the journey. Here in John, we see that, that Jesus is offering to us himself. He is that summit. He is that, that beautiful scenery. There is so much complexity and beauty that is folded up within him. He wants to reveal to us his generosity and his never-ending love and his kindness and his beauty. So like the... I, I think, you know, in conclusion... What I would like for us to think about is that, that oasis. I think that's a great image for us to take away from today. The, the oasis of Elim, back in the Exodus reading, with the 12 springs of water that are feeding the 70 palm trees. You know, our lives have comp- are comprised of seasons of, of famine, of dryness. But also sometimes we have moments of coolness, moments of good water, seasons of pain and seasons of goodness. So my prayer for us is that when we if we experience those good things of life, that we will be like those 12 springs of that oasis, that we will be directed heavenly, that we will be thankful for the Lord for the good things that he has given us instead of being consumed by those things, and that we will be quick to to pour out our gifts into those around us. And I think that that's what we as Restoration are called to do, right? So one of the questions that I get quite often is why plant another church, right? There's so many churches in the area. Why does, why does South Minneapolis need one more? Well, there's only what, like 70 of us here right now? And how many thousands of people are here in South Minneapolis? And even those churches, I don't mean to judge them, but how many of them are actually saying that Christ is that living water where you can be healed and restored? Christ is real, his resurrection is real, and we can be transformed when we come to him. 
you know, and we're going to need a lot more churches than just this one in order to, to carry that out. So we should be praying for the other churches, those other oases that are in our community, and we ourselves should be quick to be generous to those around us. Because after all, this is the model of Christ Jesus himself, right? The Prince of Heaven, the one who had it all, and who yet came down to earth and poured himself out, even to the point of death, for the salvation of the entire world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be a part of your body. That we actually can experience your goodness at some points of life. Uh, But Lord, we know that suffering is real as well. I ask, Lord, for each one of us, when you do give us good things, if you do, in your generosity, decide to give us good things, may we be faithful stewards of those. And be um, offerings and oases to those who are around us. And it's in your name, Lord Christ, we pray. Amen.